Listener's discretion is advised. Some of the content contained in the upcoming podcast includes sensitive information. If you or someone you know are currently suffering from or have experienced PTSD, depression or suicide, please reach out for help. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The upcoming episode of The Raw Talk is not suitable for listeners under the age of 18. All listeners have been advised. What is going on, everybody? This is Glenn, your host for The Raw Talk, and we are back again on Season 1, Episode 8. And I have a very special guest tonight uh, in studio. Uh, came in here to talk to me. This is going to be a very uncensored, unedited, very raw version of uh, The Raw Talk tonight. And it's going to be pretty sentimental. And uh, he rem- wanted to remain unnamed, so we will not put a name in here. And for all intents purposes, maybe we'll just call you Mike. Yeah, Mike's fun. Cool. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on, man, to talk about some things. And I know uh, what you wanted to talk about tonight was uh, brotherhood. And uh, the point of this podcast is to really uh, give an outreach and a platform for people who might be, you know, struggling in life or has gone through, you know, some of the same things that you have. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and hop right in. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, you know, what you do? I do know that you are a poet and you're yeah, an entrepreneur. So, so yeah, um, I uh, published a book on Amazon. It's got five stars by three people who have reviewed it. And it was basically just a way for me to get out a bunch of bullshit that I was dealing with from the military, trying to transition into a civilian in 2012 to 2013 after three combat tours and one humanitarian aid mission to Haiti for the earthquake relief efforts, where I was a VIP escort for Michelle Obama and uh, Bill Clinton and some other people that were big wigs. Um, But basically, yeah, it was just me releasing a lot of toxicity so that I could try to be a regular human after being a crazy military person in the infantry for a very long time. Cool. So let's uh, let's take it back a little bit, right? Um, when did you join the military? Uh, 2005-12-29 was my basic active service date. How old were you? I was 23. Okay. What did you do before that? Um... I got a a two-year college degree, Associate of General Education from Okaloosa Walton Community College, and then I started working on a four-year degree in project management (laughs) uh, for about a year, which is what you do a little bit. Yeah. And um, I basically thought that a girl that I was dating who became a Marine who got in an explosion near a uh, water buffalo if you don't know what that is it's basically a giant canteen of water um and she lost her hearing and she got her hand perforated and she was beautiful and i felt guilty because i was 23 and able and so i felt like i should do something about the effort damn so how old were you again i'm sorry 23 so 23 um you are one of the smartest dudes i know man you have done a lot of schooling yeah Um, i Pre-military and post, yeah, too, I was, right? I was a pre-med in high school at 17 years old. I had a 3.6 GPA. Um, I basically was very smart. I take after my father, and um, he's a uh, entrepreneur himself, and I helped him start his company at that exact same time that is now worth a lot of money um, and does a lot of things that I'm not really going to talk about. But yeah. Um, yeah, so it is what it is. Like technology, I was a nerd. I <laughs> programmed my first TI-81 calculator in Turkey when I lived in Turkey to play a Magic 8-ball game based on Boolean statements and if-then-else statements, like what you do as a kid, what is like, oh, if you're this age and you're this gender, then this is going to happen in your future kind of thing. And it was fun. I enjoyed the... Um, in a relationship between technology and people. Yeah. Um, so your dad was in the military, right? Yeah, he was an Air Force Special Operations Colonel, and he trained pararescue, which are the special operations people of the Air Force, to go in and extract people like what I did for Special Forces. That was my initial contract at 23 years old to be a Special Forces uh, 18 series. You can look it up. 
Um, and so basically it's weird. It's just like a contract they give to people on the street who they think could be in special forces. Okay. So we talked about college, right? But then you, you were uh, in college pr- previous and prior to going to the military. Yeah. What made you get into the military? Was it your dad? I mean, I know he's a, he's a veteran and yeah. he's, you know, a, a, an awesome guy so, too. So. Yeah. So, so basically it's a legacy of war that I feel in my bones and in my heart and in my blood. Uh, both of my grandparents were POWs in World War II. They were both shot down over Czechoslovakia, not too far from each other in different POW camps. Uh, one was there two years. Another one was there for two weeks. Um, the one that was there for two years just died not too long ago. And the one that was there that. for, oh, it's fine. He, the other one was there for two weeks, and he also was in Korea, and he did some crazy shit. So, I mean, my dad was in Vietnam, and he was a uh, navigator on AC-130 Spectre gunships, laying down direct fire for his buddy on the howitzer to uh, lay down suppressive fire on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, while Billy Waugh, which you can look up his name, uh, he signed a book over to me when I joined, um, was behind enemy lines to uh, do what they got to do. Yeah, so that's actually a movie, isn't it? Behind Enemy Lines. Uh, Behind Enemy Lines is, yes. And it was not the Navy. It was actually the Air Force. But the Navy has a tighter um, connection with Hollywood. So Mm -hmm. basically it was created just like Top Gun was. It's basically they approach the Air Force and ask them, Hollywood does, if they want to do the movie based on reality. And, you know, the Air Force is like, no, because... They're a little tighter lipped about these kinds of things because mm-hmm. loose lips sink ships. So yeah. that's why I'm being kind of sort of trying to be careful. Yeah. And, and that's why we're going to keep this to an unnamed. Yeah, yeah, you know exactly, exactly. yeah. Um, Okay. Well, you know, you have gone to the military. What exactly did you do in the military? I don't think we got into that yet. So I started out as an 18 series. It's called an 18X rate um, program. And it's basically you find people who are basically uh, Snowden was an 18 series, but he was too skinny and he had shin splints. <laughs> and so he wound up working for the NSA and being in charge of, you know, network security for the NSA. And then he had to leave the country because he was so good at his job that he knew too many secrets and had to leave the country. And so, yeah, I can't, you know, divulge too much because I don't want to end up like Edward Snowden. Yeah, no. Uh so we talk, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to like, uh, like, uh, how do I say this? I'm just trying to give some of the listeners, uh, like a general idea of, uh, what you did in the military. Cause you, did you, you were in combat? Like what? Yeah. What, okay. What's... Okay. So, so basically, so basically I was trying to be great. That's what they call it. You don't want to tell your instructors who you are, if you're a legacy and I was a legacy. And so basically in airborne school, they're like, whose parents have gone through airborne school? And I raised my hand. So my dad gave the speech. So I was put on the shit list to get hazed. So (laughs) I basically went through a year of hazing and said, fuck this shit, send me to war. So I went from special operations to regular army of the 82nd Airborne and deployed for the spearhead of the surge as an E1 because I cussed out my chain of command after they basically gave me so much shit i basically gave it back to them they didn't really yeah just don't say what you what you said yeah i don't want to say what said. yeah no no we, we talked about that <laughs> i mean this is unedited but yeah that I'm kind sorry, of shit i'm sorry i'm sorry no but, you're good you're good but yeah it, it happens it happens yeah uh so let's talk a little bit about uh the military right yeah. And the, the topic that we wanted to talk about, well, you wanted to talk about was brotherhood, right? Brotherhood, yes. And, you know, I'm not sure if we have people who are in the military who listen to this podcast, but, like, the point that I, you know, made that wanted you to come on is, you know, a lot of people deal with a lot of things transitioning right. out from the military. Yes. And, number one, uh, you know, I'm not trying to talk for anybody, but it might be good to come on and, and talk about some of the things or, you know, some of what you experience post-military. Okay. Um, and we wanted to tailor this a little bit to brotherhood. So, um, we got a little bit of your backstory as to college, um, Mm -hmm. and then (laughs) cracking over the monster uh, as to college and then your time into the military. Uh, Why, what's the sudden urge from, you know, being such a smart guy, uh, doing this college, did you finish college or did you uh, leave and then want to get into the military? So so basically my entire family lineage is, is military. And my dad still owns a company that is a defense contracting company that does things. So that's why I got to keep it a little quiet. But 
it's basically about a lineage of legacy and being more of value than just monetary. And so I um, chipped my tooth after I got my associate degree and my father decided to pay the $900 bill to a local dentist. And then he gave me a guilt trip about the fact that I didn't have a job that had dental insurance. So it's a little bit of father-son rivalry. We're both Tauruses. He's May 1st, I'm May 15th. So mm -hmm. we get into it all the time. My whole life I've been fighting with him, but we love each other. Yeah. And so it was that inklage of inertia that pushed me to go to a recruiter. So I went to a Marine recruiter and I basically went to MEPS where you take the ASVAB and I scored incredibly high, even though like after about three fourths of the thing, I um, locked eyes with the recruiter and he was freaking me out. And I started like Christmas <laughs> training it for the last quarter of it. Yeah. But I still scored a very good score. So they basically said I could do whatever I wanted. But then I was on ADHD medicine earlier. So I told them I was. So they were like, well, you can't join right now. So I walked next door to the army guy and he's like, well, yeah, you can join. Just don't tell him that. Mess. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And that shit happens all the time. I mean, it's not. It's not really lying. You just, you just, you don't tell them everything. It's yeah. like I had a knee injury. Okay, well, don't tell them you had a knee injury. And if it's a time of war in two thousand five, it was. So it's like, okay, they still need us. They still need good, capable people. And I was. So fuck it. So what, um, what advice would you give? Because I know a lot of people who come out of uh, even high school, dude, who want to go into the military. And we might be hopping ahead of ourselves here too. You know. Um, what advice would you give to someone who is potentially, you know, getting out of college and uh, looking to join the military? Uh, you know, can you speak on that? So I would just say be honest with your recruiters, but know your surrounding context. Like if there's somebody else you can talk to that has been in a certain MOS, because I joined for a combat MOS. All right. I'm a smart guy and I joined for a combat MOS. Mm -hmm. That was probably not a good idea. What does MOS mean? Uh, your military occupational specialty, your uh, job. Okay. So basically I was a very smart guy. I was a pre-med and I, they, when I was doing machine gun training with a saw, an M249 machine gun, one of the instructors was like, well, what's the second derivative of X squared? Does anybody know this? And somebody <laughs> raised their hand and was like, 2X. And I knew it was wrong. And I kept my hand down because I was trying to be low. I was trying to be gray. I was trying not to say anything. And they're like, nope, wrong. Anybody else know? And I was like, mm, mm, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, second derivative of X squared. If you don't know it, <laughs> x squared a derivative of x squared the first derivative is 2x the second derivative is just x i believe it's been a minute since i've done it and he's like x what and i was like x plus c because c yeah. means the constant so yeah if you've done calculus a few times you might know that you are if not you don't you're talking chinese to me man because yeah. they would have told me that i'd be like i don't fucking know yeah and he's like you don't belong in the infantry yeah. but it was too late so when you get into the military um were you uh, boots on the ground? Like, what did what did you do? So, I enlisted 2005, 12, 29. I did about a year of SWIC, Special Warfare Training Program, which is at Fort Bragg. So, I started at Fort Benning, going through basic training. And you've got to do the very basic, basic training, which was at the House of Pain, which is what they called it for anybody who's going through combat MOS. It has to go through the House of Pain. It's not... Camp Jackson, relaxing Jackson. This is hard. It's called high speed, high stress. They push you day in and day out. They combine basic training with infantry school. So infantry school fell right after. So I was literally going through infantry school with guys who were um, Navy SEALs that had trained like transition branches to decide to become special forces. And, you know, I actually got along with them pretty good because they were very smart too. Yeah. Uh, so what... And then you go to Airborne, yeah. and then that's at Fort Benning, and then that's when I told the instructors that my dad had been through Airborne, and he gave the speech, and yeah. then they found out who I was, and it got a little weird when I got to Fort Bragg for special ops prep course and selection, because then they started kind of picking me out the ground. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think you talked on this a little bit earlier. You did, what, three or four combat tours? So I did three combat tours, three total deployments, and uh, one humanitarian aid mission to Haiti from the years of 2005 to May 2012. Mm. 
Damn, man. You've been over there a lot. Yeah. Back and forth, back and forth. Do, do you, like, regret being in the military? In some ways, emotionally, yes. But in my ego, it's, yeah. like, the coolest shit in the world. Yeah. I'm sure you got a lot of uh, fucked up stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, I'm the coolest person in the world if it's my ego, but it's my heart and my emotions. It's rough. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that it in a minute. Toll. Um, so what... What kind of challenges did you face coming out of college and going right into um, a deployment, man, after your training? Well, honestly, bro, growing up as like a kid of um, a military family, I basically wanted to serve my country. I wanted to be on the front lines. I wanted to do the things I did, like carry dead bodies off the battlefield mm. and provide support for my brothers who were my homies. Like, we connected with each other immediately because we had to. That's what they train you to do in all these crazy high speed, high stress environments is they train you to connect with each other when the stress and the speed is so high that eventually you just have to stop and take a break and take a breath and like look to your left and your right and realize that these are the only people that have your back. Yeah. And I like that you said brother and homie. That's the word you used. <laughs> yeah. Like and, ride or die homies. Yeah. And that's kind of what the topic is tonight. So like, what does brotherhood mean to you? Brotherhood means like, since I don't have any actual brothers, what it means to me is basically what my sister meant to me up to about 22 years old before I enlisted because she got married. So I kind of passed her off to her husband. So then I needed another strong connection of livelihood that yeah. would keep me on point, that would keep me honest, that would keep me like responsible and accountable for my actions. Because otherwise, like my decisions don't really matter if it's mm -hmm. just up to me, because then it's just like these idle hands that are going to do whatever they want. And it's better to have people that are close to you to tell you, yo, bro, you better not do that. Or yo, bro, you better do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's good to have that in your life or else you don't really know if you can trust the voices in your head that are saying yes or no all the time. Damn, that's that's pretty impactful. Um, so, you know, brotherhood for that reason and uh, for the reason of, uh, I guess, getting you through some of the hardest times. And I'm sure yeah, you face yeah, a lot oh, of challenges. Yeah, my, my original dog tags read Roman Catholic. And the only reason... I put that down is because I was raised Catholic, but I didn't actually follow it. But it gave me like a place to go on Sunday, which was the Catholic church with some of my friends. So it was like a place for us to go and like talk and hang out yeah. and like go see a you know weird priest and talk about our fucking problems. Because I told him like I cussed, I had premarital sex and I was like kind of laughing. <laughs> Everything almost. everybody does. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Say five or 10 Hail Marys, yeah. you know, and it, it is, it is what it is, bro. Everything just yeah. kind of is what it is. Like I, I became friends with Mormons. I was, became friends with, you know, it, it, the religion part doesn't matter. Skin doesn't matter. Religion. It, it's just about brotherhood. It's about protecting each other. Yeah. And uh, I know we talked earlier about some challenges and uh, we'll talk uh, now about, you know, challenges through your time in the military and how how are you able to cope with some of I'm I'm sure you've seen some fucked up things. How are you able to cope with these things? And, and I'm going to preface this too is uh, you know uh, what the purpose of this podcast is is I'm sure there's millions or hundreds of thousands of people who are going through what you go through, and maybe if we can outreach and you know at least affect someone's life. Mm -hmm. um, that's the whole purpose of this. And uh, I wish the viewers can feel like the emotion in this room right now, because I mean, I could feel it coming Dude, it's off of you. Yeah. It's I mean, very intense. And I can feel it coming off of you. I know that these things are not. Because uh, these are not things I talk about. And I was just getting ready to say that. I know these are not these things, are not that you things talk I bring about. up or talk about probably ever, honestly. Um, but you know that they're a part of me because I met you at a very pivotal part of my life. Yes. Um, we were both actually unemployed. Yeah, I mean, I mean, 2020 hit me like a fucking heart attack. It was like a freight train. Um, I had a small business and it wasn't doing good. And on uh, Memorial Day, I got in a car accident and I found myself in a psych ward at the VA because I had told 911 that I had tried to ramp my car off the roof of a parking deck. And it was a 90% truth. The other 10% truth I'm not going to get into, but... The fact of the matter is when I got out of there after two weeks, 
I just needed to connect with somebody who was real. And I met Glenn and Glenn was at the pool when I was growing. <laughs> we were, we were just having a normal conversation. Like we are right now, like just this conversation right now, just real as fuck. That's why it's the like real talk. Me not drinking, not smoking, not being fucked up, not dealing with my shit in a weird sort of way where it's just like, I'm going to get rid of this yeah. demon inside my head that keeps telling me something. I'm going to just talk to someone. Yeah. And I was there. And you were there. So yeah. I talked to you. I find it pretty funny how, you know, uh, a divine, I want, I, you could say God or a divine intervention kind of puts people uh, in places at the right times. And I think, uh, you know, when I met you, um, I had just uh, lost my job and it was in May or we met in June. It was well, in May. I, I wrecked on May 25th because it was Shelly's birthday, which was more important than fucking Memorial Day, which was the person I was hanging out with. And I don't want to yeah. blame anybody, but that person what made you do thought that? that her birthday was more important than memorial day and yeah. my facebook was nothing but a bunch of my dead friends so oh me getting God. fucked up with her made me realize that my situation in life was way different than everybody else's because the shit that i was going through was not yeah. anything about what anybody else was going through and i had to tackle that somehow differently and i'm just glad that i didn't kill myself on the roof yeah. of the parking deck and that the cop was cool as shit and understood that I was a veteran on Memorial Day going through some things so that he could bet, steer man. me in the right direction without me facing serious legal consequences. Dude, I, I'm kind of at a loss for words because, like I said, this is a very emotional, uh, deep conversation. And a question that just popped to my mind while you were talking is, do you find it hard to relate to um, people who haven't served in the military. So like we talked about mine in your conversation when we met, right? Do you find it hard to uh, relate and open up to people? So it kind of depends, man. It really depends because every single person is different and every single person has a different perspective of the military. So I would say yes, but I it's, it's in general. So in general, yes, but every single human being is different and if somebody sees my stature they kind of assume it yeah. because i'm a big guy yeah you're built really well too you know, yeah, you're shredded yeah. and, and the way i talk and the way i'm just wrecking yes with people is so like shaking to their bones that sometimes they just kind of think i'm authority for no reason yeah. and, and, and it's just like well it's kind of true because i've had to do jobs that are way outside my pay grade well not only that i mean you have done shit that yeah. normal citizens would never see in even right. movies yeah. dude. you know what i'm saying people off the battlefield like we could talk about american sniper we could talk about behind enemy lines because both well, of those movies are based on some things that aren't entirely <laughs> true and i know the truth we we can talk about american sniper um we're gonna cut to a break in a little while but when we come back we'll talk about those movies um so the question i asked and i don't think that we got to because we got sidetracked was um you know how how do you cope with the challenges um of being young and being in uh war and well, you know, well, being in well at 23 i was not nearly as young as everybody else around me because at 23 i had already been through a shit ton. at 17 years old my sister's boyfriend had shot himself in the head after giving me the keychain of a surfboard where we had just been in Jacksonville and gone surfing. Yeah. And then he decided to take his own life in the parking lot of movie theater, the King and I in Destin, Florida, right after, you know, telling me, basically asking me where they were. So I've been in serious, intense situations where I could have stopped somebody from possibly fucking dying. So it put me in a weird place along with nine 11, put me in a weird place because that was another strange date. And there's just been so many impactful dates in my life like that leading up to my decision that it wasn't even an accident. It was yeah. divine intervention. I don't believe in everybody else's interpretation of God. I believe in a subjective experience with the divine. If it brings you to a better place where everything pulls together and makes sense. Well, damn. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense too. Uh, so, you know, challenges we discussed a little bit and, uh, you know, let's take it a little step further is you come out of the military. How many years did you do? So I did 6.5 years, one full term of five years and one half term of my reenlistment of three, but I had to stop after 1.5 after I cussed out basically <laughs> my entire chain. 
what are uh, some of the challenges trying to reintegrate into society after being, um, you know, war ridden, man? So I got married in 2011 and then got out in 2012, May. So I basically had put all my eggs in one basket of my marriage and a new business that she was going to start here, but 2020 tore her apart. Now I'm facing a divorce. Currently? Yeah, right now. Jesus, man, you've been through a lot, dude. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, we can revert back and, uh, you talked about the American sniper, yeah. the movie, yeah. um, for those who don't know, that was a movie. I don't even know when it came out, Well, but it was, it was about a, a, a Chris, sniper. Chris Kyle was a, uh, seal team, whichever team he was, I don't know, but he was on the rooftops with our scouts, um, taking out people who were threats while we were doing braids and while we were locking down Baghdad. I was in Sadr City. Um, you know, I could go into detail, but some of it might still be classified, but the book came out, then the movie came out, and Clint Eastwood, and, you know, the Navy just blows shit up way out of proportion, way too fast to sell shit, and that's why I think he got killed. I think it might have been a little bit of karma, because I love the fact that he saved us a billion times, but goddamn, he did not kill the HPT butcher than I know of because my platoon sergeant did. And I don't even want to go into it because I don't know if this should have ever come out to begin with. Yeah. I think that it should have stayed classified. You're talking about like the movie and well, the transcript? Yeah, I'm talking about the dramatic arc of the movie because I woke up in a hospital bed on Memorial Day last year with that scene playing over my head after I just tried ramping my car over the roof of a parking deck and was thinking about the way he went out by a kid with PTSD on a rage. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, is this just a coincidence? I don't know. I have no idea. But the HVT that we were supposed to let our regular army guys hit was because they called him the butcher, the guy that I'm talking about, it might be the same person, was because they chopped the end of his foot off for uh, pumping our shit out of our uh, poor shitters. And so since we were allied forces, that's what militia group leaders do if they're trying to take over territories. They take yeah. out people who are helping out allied forces. So our shit piled up so high, we had to create our own porta potties and burn our own shit. So I'm pretty sure my first sergeant and my CO were like, yeah, they're going to let us hit this dude. And I basically was on the raid and I was a driver and, you know, they killed him. Mm -hmm. I between sergeant shot him five or six times in the gut and his gut spilled out. And then my uh, medic scooped him up with some bed sheets and threw him on the hood of my Humvee and I threw him on the burn pit and, you know, stood on the burn pit like, wow, this is cool shit, kind of sort of covered in, you know, some intestinal fluids and a lot of fucking adrenaline and mm -hmm. smoked a cigarette and was like, wow, nobody's ever going to believe this shit. Yeah, man, uh, you brought up something um, pretty pivotal and I wanted to ask you about is uh, PTSD. Mm -hmm. And we got about two minutes before we have to cut to a commercial break. Do you want to talk about that? Or sure. Do you, do you wanna, Absolutely. You can knock that in two minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I think every single one of us has it for some reason or another. I think that people in the military, though, need a certain assessment by a certain objective opinion and you know what everybody's got their bias so i went through all my fucking sykes and shrinks but i mean you know some are worth their salt and some are um it depends if you're worth your salt and you know it's hard because sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the oil and i had a guy who got a tattoo of a dude who i carried dead off the battlefield that he didn't even know and he got every benefit and he still gets more benefits than me. So, and it's the same way for somebody in my own bloodline. Yeah. So I just do what I fucking can to get by. Oh, I heard that, man. All right. So we are coming up on 30 minutes. It doesn't even feel like 30 minutes, does it? Mm -mm. And uh, man, I'm glad that you're opening up and, um, you know, that's the point of the raw talk. And I think that this is the most deep and emotional that uh, the podcast has ever been. And I am grateful for you. And, I love you. I, love I do, man. Bro. Like, you, you know, um, I'm glad that we met at the time that we did. Yeah, it's uh, all good, bro. Yeah. It's all good. But I want to dive a little bit more into some PTSD when we come back okay. and a couple other things. And uh, this might be the longest one we go because uh, 30 minutes felt like two minutes to me. Yeah, that was fast.
And uh, I felt I felt like I mean, we're doing this without a script. Yeah, I mean, this is coming right from inside. This is, this is free association yes. in the world of psychology. Just say it like it is. Get it over with. <laughs> All right, we're gonna be right back, and uh, we'll come back with Mike. Stay uh, stay with us. We got a lot of good topics coming up. All right, so we're back, and uh, I wanted to kind of get back into what we were talking about before the break, and it was about PTSD. So the question that I have uh, for you, and uh, you can choose to talk about it or not to, is how do you cope with uh, PTSD? So that is a very good question because PTSD is something that I think everybody has. I think everybody has trauma that is post. Everybody has some form of trauma from childhood um, and I had it from childhood before I enlisted. I got picked on a little bit in yeah. high school when I came back from Turkey uh, to Niceville, which was Boggy Bayou at the time. And I dressed like <laughs> I'm just going to say that because it's true. I had the vanilla ice haircut. I yeah. wore silk shirts with a golden chain with a cartouche. But I was super smart and I got straight A's. So I got picked on relentlessly and called a not in a good way. And so I wasn't a I've never orientated my sexual orientation that direction, but it hurt. And so I think everybody has post-traumatic stress. Now, post-traumatic stress disorder is when I think it affects your day to day. And the military made it a disorder because it intensified it because my job as a combat infantry person was to jump out of planes and shoot targets that look like people on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. and then go and do it in real person. Even though I never actually shot anybody, I kicked in the doors with a machine gun and was ready to pull the trigger at any second. And so now I wake up at 4 a.m. every night ready to fucking attack. And so I didn't go home for 10 years to see my mother until this year Mm -hmm. because I have to basically stay in a hotel room because I still wake up at 4 a.m. ready to attack. That's deep. So how do you cope with that kind of stuff? Um, well, the VA puts me on medications yeah, and so I don't appreciate some of their, um, medications that they have put me on, but I lately have been okay with a little trazodone, hundred milligrams to help me sleep through the night yeah. and a little bit of trileptol, which is kind of like an easygoing Xanax, which isn't as addictive as a Xanax because it's not a benzo. So I take two trileptols a day to chill myself out, and then I take a trazodone at night. Mm, okay. And then I talk to somebody that I just recently started talking to who's a psychologist with combat experience who I don't have to pay any money to, which I just started doing last week, and I have my second appointment on Thursday, which I haven't talked mm-hmm. to anybody in that field in three years because – the last psychiatrist I went to put me on an antipsychotic, which is just the complete opposite of what anyone should ever do because yeah. it cuts off glutamate, which is the precursor to neurotransmission, which basically makes your brain shut down. And it's just not a good idea when you're as smart as me and you have to run your own business and have a bunch of degrees and you're an IT consultant. Yeah. And uh, we, you did talk earlier about... Uh, trying to take your own life, did you not? Well, I have put the barrel of the gun. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we but talk before, before we talk ready. about this. Yeah, let me let me do this before we talk about this. Bad moment. A lot of people probably uh, deal with this, um, wanting to take their own life. And I wanted to just put this segment in here real quick. Uh, you know, help is always available for any listeners that might listen to this who are going through the same things that um, Mike's going through here. Um, you can speak with a counselor today if you call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Uh, the number is 800-273-8255. Uh, once again, that number is 800-273-8255. And I just wanted to preface that before we talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Because yeah. I think uh, because, that's a good avenue for people to yeah. have. 
and I and I can explain why I I never had any real intent to kill myself, but the thought lingers. It, it lingers because I have what is called survivor guilt because I um, my first tour I basically went on EML leave uh, May for my birthday and came back and half of my squad was completely gone. And I talked to a buddy of mine who went through Delta and he's legit as shit. And he told me not to go public about this. And I'm breaking his word right now to do yeah. this because I think it's important for other people to understand that it is okay to seek help. Now, while seeking help, you still have to maintain cognizant awareness of what is gonna happen once you get out. Because if I had kept telling the people at the VA the truth, you don't wanna hurt yourself or others, every single day, every single second, eight to 10 times a day, if you're combat infantry, it's your job to hurt other people. Yeah. And so it was just a complete oxymoron. If, you know, I kept getting combative nurses who wanted to push and trigger me. So you just, gotta play the game because the VA is run like the DMV and I <laughs> just hope the country won't be run like that soon. Yeah. We're, uh, we won't get into politics cause we could talk for uh, hours about this, but, um, you know, kind of staying on the same topic here, uh, you know, how, and you've tried once before to, to, yeah, to, I was eight years old and I took half a bottle of Tylenol. Of course, I'm not going to tell the people of Mets that. Yeah. My parents were arguing about something that I did and I thought that they were going to get a divorce because of me. So I took half a bottle of Tylenol and I threw it up. You know, I still feel like I have, you know, maybe a stomach ulcer. Maybe I do. I don't know the symptoms. I don't go to the doctor because I'm afraid of the fucking medical care of the VA. That's how bad it is sometimes. You have to be real with yourself. And I need to take my own advice. Yeah. So do you see uh, suicide as an avenue of escape? Like, is that well, what that is for you? Of course it's an avenue of escape for people who are willing to go the distance. I'm not willing to go that distance. Because killing yourself only hurts every single other person around you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, literally, we are connected to each other in every avenue for every decision and every choice that we make. So if you kill yourself, you're destroying everybody else's ability to try to help you and help themselves. So it's such a fucking cop out. I'm sorry, but yeah. it's fucking selfish. And, uh, you know, we, we mentioned earlier that you and I met, uh, what, like two weeks after that you tried to, well, I may or may not have bro. I was fucked up. I'm just glad that I was cognizant enough and self-aware enough to call 911 on myself and tell them that I was thinking about it because otherwise this conversation would not be happening. Yeah. And I, I would be upset, man. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't have gave me the opportunity to meet you and, you know, place you and me together. Cause I think there's a, a reason for it, you know, and I appreciate you so much for coming on here and, and talking about some yeah, of these difficult put, things, I, man, I, because, because me and you were close and then I got fucked up for a little while because I drink to try to forget, you know, we try to like, because I, I had a problem in 2004 where I wrecked my car and I had to go to a rehab. And for six months, I was completely sober, but they put me on some weird uh, Stratera and some antidepressant. And for six months, I was fine until I went to this AANA meeting out called the Camel Club out past Eston, where some guy was talking about fucking chickens. And so <laughs> one of them died and he started crying. And I couldn't yeah. wait to get out of that meeting and start drinking as much as I could to forget about that. And that was 2004. And then I enlisted in 2005. So, I mean, basically, you pick and choose your fucking poison in life. Like, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. I'm sorry that's pessimistic, yeah. but it's true. We're all going to die. So... However it is you feel your soul or spirit is going to disappear, come back or, you know, enlighten anybody else who's still alive. Mm -hmm. You're still not going to be among the living. Mm -hmm. And the central idea of the show tonight was brotherhood. And what I want to try to uh, convey to the listeners, and I want you to, to give me verification on this, is when you go through hard time, 
um, post-war, uh, coming back home, uh, reintegrating into society. Um, how obviously brother brotherhood gets you through these things, right? It does. It does. Because when I was at the uh, psych ward for two weeks and basically I could have gotten out of there in three days, but it was like, there's a reason I'm here, right? Like I felt like I was being fucked with by some of the nurses and they were outside my door and I cussed them out a few times, but you know, I don't know if they were being funny or if they were being assholes, but it's just like being picked on in real life. You yeah. just have to fucking deal with it. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess this will transition to the next question that popped to my mind is, do you feel pain? Of course, all kinds of pain, but it's different dimensions yeah. of pain. It's and that's like, what I wanted to get into. Yeah. Yeah. There's different dimensions of pain. Like there's emotional, there's physical, like I enjoyed physical pain because in the military, it kept me at a further distance from the emotional pain, which is the real pain, because that's the shit that catches up with you after time. That's the shit that catches up with you when you're trying to mature and settle down and get married mm -hmm. and create babies and teach your children how to be strong. Like the other physical pain doesn't mean shit compared to that. Yeah. How do you turn that kind of pain into success in your life now? Well, it depends on your definition of success. So my definition of success is not everybody's definition of success. Yeah. Most people's definition of success is based on an extrinsic value of wealth or currency. My definition of success is intrinsic success or aesthetic success. I try to strive to be the best person I can day in and day out who is a little bit better than the person before. Yeah. And I'm not always successful. So there's an aesthetic value there where it's like, well, you got to have some extrinsic value, which is currency, which is money to pay your bills, to look good in public or your image. And that is sort of important, but yeah. it is just not important compared to how you feel about who you are. Did you take, and this is a dumb question because I know the answer, I'm, I'm sure that you took a lot of that pain and were able to convey it in the book that you wrote. Well, yes, but the problem with the book that I wrote is the fact that I wrote it in 2010, 11, and 12, and every time I've tried to pick up that book and read it, it kind of makes me sick because the amount of stress that I was going through at that time is insurmountable for any civilian to ever understand. So for anybody else to buy it who has not been through that much pain, it's yeah. kind of going to be worthless to them, I think, in most aspects. Tell me about the book. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I wanted to order it, and I've just been so damn busy, but I will order it after this. And uh, tell me about it. Like, uh, was it a coping mechanism for it is, you? It um, is. It's, it's a coping mechanism for me to purge. It, it's like I was raised Catholic. There's a thing called a requiem when someone dies where they purge their soul. And that's what I was doing because I felt like I had to relive my life after being in the shit that I had been in. And so in order to do that, I had to purge all the things from before. Like when someone dies and they go through a requiem, it's just like their soul escaping their body because they're finally done with whatever the hell they've done here. It's the same thing for military if they're very serious about reclaiming who they are after they've done either good or bad things for mm -hmm. reasons they don't completely understand. Yeah. Because you're being told to do something. Like I got told to do terrible shit and yeah. I didn't do some of that terrible shit and it helps me sleep at night that I didn't, but I got punished for not doing it. And I got out of the E1 for chewing out my chain of command for reasons similar. And, you know, I could get my second upgrade, you know, second discharged upgraded. But, you know, I just kind of keep it mm -hmm. as a general under honorable and then my other honorable because it's enough. It's enough for me to sleep. Yeah. So it was a coping mechanism for you, which will transition me to my next question is, you know, what advice do you give someone who uh, is, you know, experiencing PTSD post-war or someone who is uh, thinking about, you know, taking their own life. I mean, obviously those are not two in the same. And I think, you know, so, can you talk about what, from being, from your vantage point, like what would be some advice to people who are experiencing these type of things? Well, I think everybody at some point in their lives is not happy with their lot and they want to change something and they want to push a reset button. 
And the reset button should not be to kill yourself. The reset button should be to reevaluate your choices that led you down the road to want to reset yourself. Mm-hmm. And I've been dealing with that over and over again. And I may or may not take it seriously enough. But lately, I have been taking it seriously or else I wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah. If you could travel back in time, knowing what you know at this current moment, what do you do differently, if anything? Um, That's a very loaded question. You know yeah, what I'm saying? It's it a loaded is, question. Is, but I, I, don't, I don't know if I do anything different because, you know, we wouldn't be having these conversations without all these mistakes. I, I don't I don't know if I can answer that honestly because I don't think it's possible. There is no time machine. I, if I could go back, I would say, you know, Steve, just chill out. Don't cuss out your chain of command. Um, just relax, you know, smoke a cigarette, drink a beer, you know, just don't take it that seriously because life is serious enough. Yeah. Let's talk more about uh, brotherhood. How can a brotherhood of any sort really relate to achieving success in the real, in the real world? Well, I mean, it depends on your definition of success. Like, well, we, 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 so let's just say uh, success in the form of, and that's hard. You're right. Because I could say monetarily, but other people can, you know, weigh it as uh, having meaningful relationships creating a family right but because i'm going through a divorce right now and that feels like all the monetary shit doesn't even matter i mean i'll give her anything just to be at peace like because i feel like being at peace is the most important thing i feel like if you're at peace with yourself then you can you can do what you have to do Uh, and whatever that is i don't know because everybody is different Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll talk uh, a minute about brotherhood to me. And, you know, I found brotherhood is completely different and uh, not the same as yours. It's uh, through sports. And to me, you know, uh, brotherhood kind of means surrounding yourself with people who um, have the same objective as you, but also people who are uh, builders and not destroyers. And in that aspect, what I say is people who build you up and not and not tear you down. So. Um, wow, no wonder. Okay, because, because yeah, I, I, I can, I, yeah, I can see the difference. Then because I literally made it a point not to become an E five, and I literally stayed an E four for five and a half years because I didn't want to be a sergeant because I was raised by leaders who I didn't respect because of the things they told me to do over there, and those are not builders; those are destroyers. And so, since yeah. I was raised by destroyers. I became a destroyer unconsciously without realizing and destroyed Uh, my own self because of that. And here's another question that popped up is if, if you're a destroyer and you know, speaking from your vantage point, uh, because I feel like I'm a builder, um, you being a destroyer, how do you find the ability to surround yourself with like-minded people and not like-minded because then that would say that you're trying to surround yourself with destroyers, but how does a destroyer uh, find tranquility and peace um, really in, in other people? Does that make sense? It, it's a, it's a very complicated question because that, that is a little loaded. Um, I, I'm just going to say that like, I don't, dichotomy people as builders and destroyers i I dichotomy people in in other ways um yeah i'm a destroyer for the most part but i try not to destroy other people i tend to destroy myself um as a as like an oxymoronic way to build others i use what Mm -hmm. is called self-deprecated humor to put myself down, I throw away my degrees, I throw away my awards, I destroy all my military gear, I get rid of all my heirlooms and all my artifacts from my service so that I can pretend that I am not a hero because I don't think that I'm a hero even though people have called me that. Because my mother thinks that I am some kind of superhero and I know that I am not. So yeah. it gets into my soul and I don't go home for 10 years for Christmas until 2020 happens. And my whole life is just being wrecked. And then finally I just fall to my knees and go home. And now I feel like I'm a newborn person. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's move on and talk about some happier things. Okay. You cool with that? Yeah. All right. Good, good. Uh, 
you come out of the military. Uh, what do you do after the military? Um, well, first of all, I had a GI Bill, so I went to go use that at UNCG and mm-hmm. got two four-year degrees, one in information systems, supply chain management, and one in entrepreneurship, and started my own business fixing people's cell phones in the general community and got a Dean Service Award for yeah. it that I threw in the garbage because I'm a destroyer. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I still help many, many people around me. That's what I'm saying. Like, I destroy myself to help others. I feel like, I don't know, it's like a Jesus crisis or something or some kind of weird adventure I'm on in my fucking mm-hmm. soul that I don't completely understand. So you went to college, you have degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you currently doing at this moment? So I'm working on my master's in informatics and analytics, which is data science, which basically takes data and puts it into structured and unstructured data, or you take unstructured, you make it to structure and you create knowledge and then, or you create information that is useful for other people and then you use it to make knowledge and uh, hopefully wisdom eventually as time goes by. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, you can find happiness in life outside of the military uh, at this point, right? Yes, because I had an associate degree going in. And so, honestly, I've just always been intellectually gifted. And I was valedictorian of the charter school. I just refused to give the valedictorian speech because I didn't even know anybody there because it was a place I had to go to after I got kicked out after I, they found a seat in STEM marijuana in my fucking truck seat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. It's no, you, no, you're good. It's, it's, just, it's true. I mean, I mean, life is oxymoronic. I mean, I just think that the hypocriticalness of everybody is is about breaking down these walls and that's what the destructor part comes in it's just the fact that like i'm always building a wall and then yeah. tearing it down what are uh we're talking about happy things now so we're, oh, not, gonna, we're not gonna no i'm not saying that you talk about anything sad but uh what what are your goals for like the next five years um i want Shit, that's a long time what, what's, your, what's your goal for this year my goal for this year is to do the best i can for my family and for my friends and to do the best i can to to care about the people that I love in whatever aspect that they need it. And if I'm going to get a divorce, I'm going to get a divorce. But aside from my marriage, my point of existence is about serving others. I almost joined the Freemasons and it's kind of because of their motto. It's just that I don't always agree with the people in the lodge that's nearby me, but it's basically like God first, other second, you last. Who are, uh, you know, and this is a question, damn it, I don't want to revert back, but you know, who has been your inspiration? Like who has gotten you through some of the hardest times in your life? So, so I wrote a poetry book because Max Ehrman, who wrote a poem called Desiderata that starts off like, go placidly amid the noise and haste um, and, and beware of people who are noisy and, and violent and be at peace with your soul and be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be and be yourself. Like if you just look up Max Desiderata, basically Mm -hmm. when my first um, friend did kill himself, I came across that poem and it struck me straight in the heart. And it's still a poem I read today, like go placidly amid the noise and haste. Um, It's it's like be water, kind of like what Bruce Lee says, like be water. (laughs) Yeah. Be a part of everything that is your context, and then and then your true value will shock. Is that what got you through some of the hardest times in your yes, life? Yes, yes, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I always try to talk to my guests sometimes about uh, failures in their life, and I don't want you to go too in depth because uh, I'm sure that you know uh, a lot of people have a lot of failures in life. Maybe I'm saying that wrong. You know, there could be no. people who go through life and don't fail, but. What is, you know, one failure in your life that you wish that you could go back and, uh, you know, readjust or fix? It it is the fact that, that, you know, my sister's boyfriend handed me that fucking keychain and went and blew his brains out. I wish I just could have held on to the keychain, not giving it back to him because he said he didn't need it anymore and just held him tight and whispered in his fucking ear that you're loved. Because I remember after that, I went back to school before I got kicked out of school. I had a whole week of school left. There was a kid I used to pick on. And when he was leaving class, he had the same wide eyes of just placid fucking um, 
volume of your pupil. Yeah. Like, like as if you're about to do something stupid. Mm -hmm. And I remember approaching him and saying, look, brother, you are fucking love. Don't give a fuck about these fucking people. Yeah. Because everybody picked on this kid. Mm -hmm. And I did at some point. And I just remember just having that intimate moment with him that might have saved his fucking life. Yeah, that's uh that's pretty deep. Uh, I, I would ask this is brotherhood and uh and love. You know, we've come back to those two through this whole episode. Uh, do you think that they coexist hand in hand together? Well, they should. Um, I mean, brotherhood and love are, you know, it, it, to me, love, love is a, uh, it's a word that describes a um, unconventional trust for the people that are gonna be there for you when shit gets fucking hard. Yeah. And, and and you're not going to know who really, really loves you until shit gets fucking hard. You're not going to know. And, it you know, you might not have anybody that loves you when shit gets that fucking hard. You might just have to fucking love yourself. Yeah. Uh, so we're coming up on the end of this episode. And what I want to do is kind of turn the mic over to you. Um, we have three. We might go a little bit over. Um, we've got about four minutes. I want you to talk to someone who uh, might be in a dark place right now. Are you able to do that or do you not want to? Well, honestly, like all my friends are on top of the world as far as I know. Okay, no, I got one. I got one who's dark now. Yeah, no, you're right. Well, I'm, I'm saying, you know, listeners who we might not know who are across the yeah, world who are dealing yeah. with the same thing. No, like, I know I know somebody because when I published my book, or no, you know what? Before I published my book, I sent it out to anybody on Facebook who wanted it before I published it. And this one dude hit me back up. And he said he created an entire music, musical lyrics to it. And he told me it had 32 stanzas and he was about to kill himself. And he's dealing with substance abuse, alcohol abuse, like, and he cuts himself. And in my poetry, it almost sounds like I'm at that point, but I'm actually not. And that's what gets me is the fact that like what I'm talking about is so deep. It actually gets to people who are actually doing the things that I'm talking about because I feel that deeply. It doesn't mean that I'm actually taking action to it because I've seen the action firsthand. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would say, and I can't talk from your shoes, man, I've not seen a quarter of what you have seen in life. And uh, my only recommendation would be that, you know, people uh, love, love you. And, you know, uh, even though they might not know, but there's people out there who, who care for you. And, you know, if you are facing something like this, uh, you can reach out to, you know, my podcast. Uh, there's plenty of other avenues that I probably should have researched before we got on air, but I didn't know this was something we were going to be talking about. And I did give the uh, National Suicide Prevention Hotline, but... There's, uh, there's a 1-800 number for vets, too. Oh, is there? I'll mm -hmm. look it up. But uh, two minutes. Did you want to uh, talk to anyone who might be going through this? Yes. Um, just don't fucking kill yourself. You're going to hurt every single one around you. You might let go of it brink of pain for a second and then you're going to see your entire life flash before your fucking eyes and you're going to regret it because i've almost died so many times but but the thing is is that we also cannot live in this bullshit safety bubble that the social media or the main media thinks that is gonna save us from ourselves like okay yes you know we can prevent you know, COVID a little bit better if we do certain things, but there are real rights of expression, like us having this conversation right next to each other, not staying six feet apart. That <laughs> means more. Human than, connection. That means more than if, you know, I was to go get hit by a truck. I mean, yeah. if I got hit by a truck this morning, we didn't have this conversation. None of this would be so. Yeah. Well, um, I can't do my clothes right now. we got about a minute left, so I am going to send us to one more break. Uh, come back. We'll wrap it up. I'll give you the uh, mic again for another three or four minutes to get off whatever you need to, and uh, we'll wrap it up. But I appreciate everyone for tuning into this episode. This has been uh, a very raw, um, unscripted, unedited, uh, uncensored, obviously, uh, version of the raw talk. And uh, you know, I'm going to preface it with a trigger warning as well because we did uh, get into a lot of deep topics that we didn't even plan to talk about tonight. But uh, – 
But yeah, you know, come back after the break. I will give you the veteran crisis hotline number and uh, redrop the link for um, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline as well. So thank you. All right, everybody, we are back and we are in our final segment. This has been the uh, the longest episode we ever did. And I have uh, the utmost respect for the gentleman sitting next to me. He is a good friend of mine and I'm glad that he came here to uh, to talk through some things. And, you know, the goal of this podcast is to try to get uh, try to increase and get outreach um, in all areas of life and all aspects. And as you've seen through the prior seven episodes, hasn't really been as deep and as raw. Uh, obviously, people experience different things throughout life. So um, I'm, Mike here has been through it. Um, you heard a little bit about his story. Obviously, we can't go into detail for classified information. I don't want to hit up any chords for uh, emotions right now as well. Uh, but we did talk before the break about the veteran crisis hotline, and it appears that it's the same number um, as the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. So it is uh, 1-800-273-8255. Also, you can text 838-255 as well, and uh, you can visit it online at uh, veteranscrisisline.net. And once again, that's veteranscrisisline.net. So if you're going through something, reach out. I'm always available. Uh, you can find me uh, through my website. You can hit me up on the podcast. I'm here to talk to anybody at any time. Anybody can feel free to come here or just shoot me a private message. Um, just know that people are here for you. But, uh, Mike, we're going to wrap it up here. Was there any last things that you kind of wanted to uh, talk about? I just want to turn the mic over to you. You've been uh, super awesome, and I appreciate you being here. Yeah, it's just that, you know, not everything is fucking glass half empty. I mean, it really does depend on your perception and perspective. Um, I have been having a few beers tonight, and so I might have (laughs) dug a little bit of a rabbit hole deeper than I wanted to. But it also helps me dig into some, you know, real experiences that I've had in the past that I've never been able to tell to a single psychologist or psychiatrist because I don't really trust them as much as I trust my friend right here. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think that, you know, Within three minutes, I don't really know if there's anything else I can uh, you say. You can talk for as long as you want. Okay. We have another 30 minutes. Okay. Well, I mean. <laughs> I, just, I, mean I just try to keep it down a little bit. I mean, this yeah. but this episode is, is yeah. so fucking packed with emotion and a lot of content that uh, I think people will continue to listen. You know, people's attention spans like 45 minutes now. Yeah. So I try to keep it to that. But yeah, I, know I mean, talk I, about I, a lot I of mean, shit. I mean, yeah, because I, I mean, I told you something tonight that I told my mom and my sister right after I got kicked out of high school for a seed and stem of marijuana back in the year 2000, when I should have graduated and gone to college and had a normal life, but I couldn't have a normal life after that. So it bypassed my normal life. Like all my friends went to Florida state when I got accepted to Florida state and my parents didn't trust me because I got caught with a seed and stem of marijuana, even though everybody was fucking smoking. Yeah. I mean, it's now it's 2020. I I just went to Denver and smoked. <laughs> for free. Oh, and, I mean, for, I'm not for free. free. Not for free. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't. I paid a little bit of money, but yeah. Jesus Christ. I yeah. mean, it might as well be free for the, you know, the fact that it is just like there's natural medications out there. Don't take antipsychotics. Tell the fucking doctor no. Don't wind up like my fucking friends who are fat zombies. <laughs> okay? Think for yourself. Think for your fucking self. Glutamate is a precursor to neurotransmission. If you want to be happy in life, make your own decision to make serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, whatever happy chemical you want, but don't give that decision up to a fucking doctor. Yeah. Uh, Make that decision for yourself. Let's end on a happy note, man. What's the coolest place you've ever been? Oh, definitely Portugal, the Azores. Yeah. Um, our plane had a engine failure on the way to my last tour and we had to land. And according to the weird conspiracy theorists, this little chain of islands in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean is the last thing left from um, the lost city of Atlantis. And I'm a huge really? fan of conspiracy theories. So I was just <laughs> digging in and it was beautiful. Uh, uh, where, uh, where's one place you want to travel to? I want to go to Peru and take ayahuasca with a bunch of crazy, 
tribal people. Yeah, man, you would probably and love just that. dig deep into my soul yeah. and let Mother Earth cleanse me once and once again. I heard that, brother. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, I ask everybody this question uh, when I wrap up a podcast. And uh, it's if you're trapped on an island, man, for six months, uh, you get three things. What do you bring? Um, <laughs> it's a hard question. I mean, I mean, can, can I bring, can I, a, a solar panel connector to an iPad so that I can watch whatever weird entertainment comes out into the real world until I finally vacate, I guess. Um, <laughs> but if there's three things, then I suppose, Man, it depends on where I am because I'm so well traveled. Like I've, yeah, I've been trained to survive everywhere. Like, yeah, I know so that was going to be a hard question. It is a hard question I, for I, me I, because it, I'm trained to survive. To answer it. Yeah, you don't have to. So this guy will live uh, ten years. I'll on figure out a way. Oh man, I fucking love <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a part of my job is to train combat controllers at this point. Facts. What's uh, what's one happy moment of your life? Being able to have the humility to tell the kid that I picked on right before I got kicked out of high school for a seed and stem of marijuana after my friend committed suicide to actually like, like, like hold his own. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because I picked on him too. And it Heard just that. felt good to just stand up in the face of myself and everybody else who was a dick to him. I heard that. Well, uh, I appreciate you being here. Um, I, I know you opened up a lot tonight and I respect you. I thank you for your service. You mean a lot to me. So if I don't do any stupid shit, hey, brother. I'm sure people just heard that word <laughs> slapping hands. I'm We're sorry slapping. that I got so deep, man. No, but, but you I'm have right. to sometimes. I know, I know, I know. It is a dark, dark hole. And, and we, and it's got to be addressed because 22 veterans killing themselves every day is not okay. It's yeah. not okay. I got friends who do push ups every day. And then I got my friend Duggan who donates. Um, well, he did. He, he, I was the second person like each day he would donate one person that touched him in his life. And I was the second person. It, and he talked about how positive of an influence I was to him. And it's on my Facebook wall. And that's super cool too. Yeah. Hell we could yeah. possibly do him on a podcast. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can always come back and talk. Uh, I mean, yeah. Anthony Duggan, he was my roommate, you know, he was like a new guy and he, kinda, I'm going to, I'm going to bleep that name out. Yeah. Oh, my bad. My yeah. bad. But whatever. <laughs> he said, but whatever. Nah, uh, man, uh, you are one of the uh, most strongest. And because uh, I like to give details, I want people to I know, figure shit I out. Know. It's just that it is dangerous in today's world. I know. But like I said, man, you're one of the strongest dudes I know. Uh, a great person. You got a great heart. And I'm, I'm glad that we met. And I appreciate you being here. And uh, for all the viewers, one more time, I know that we talked about a lot of shit tonight, and this is uh, one of the deepest episodes that we've gotten into. And uh, I thank everyone out there who's listening. Uh, and just know if anyone's going through a hard time right now or struggling, uh, there's people out there who love you, and they might not have met you yet, but they're there. And fight. Fight. Be strong. Yep. And uh, Fight it out. <laughs> I heard that. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed the, the episode. Um, this has been uh, really uh, an emotional one. I, you know, you could, I wish people could feel emotion in the room. Because it's tense. It's, it's tense. It's you know, I can feel it coming out of you, and and, uh, and I just I don't talk about this stuff very often because I, I try to be lighthearted. I I don't want people to think that I'm some woe or fucking you know yeah, kitty case. No. But uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and, and uh, end this episode. We are running a little bit over, but. Thank you for tuning in all the way to the end. Uh, if you guys liked it, you can uh, like, share, uh, subscribe to my webpage. But um, this episode, Strictly, is uh, a special episode where uh, we talked about a lot of deep things. And uh, I hope that this can get out to someone who might be going through a difficult time right now. Uh, just know that we love you and uh, keep on trucking, baby. So this has been The Raw Talk. Uh, we are going to conclude here. And thank you for being on the show. All right, thank you. Yep.